0: Absolutely ridiculous. Oh! Oh, my Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Around the Course Squash podcast. With me is ever, Christopher Sackie and Stuart Crawford. How are you doing, fellas? All good here. Good to
1: be back. Good to be back on air. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Apologies to our 12 listeners for the slight delay in getting around to record this. We've been busy. We've
0: we've been on twelve listeners for a while. I can guarantee you we are closer to fifteen than we were a year ago. I'm going to say fifteen. I'll take it. Yeah. Sorry, fifteen. And for the three that you felt left out. <laughs> so where do you want to start? Well, I know where you want to start. <laughs> you yeah. love it. Come on, It's <laughs> salad assault. Ha, ba, ba, ba. No,
2: I mean a... <laughs> <so, laughs> Before we start, I want to say, I didn't actually see that much of the early pool matches last year. Uh, we've got summer camps going on, which is one of the reasons we've been slightly delayed in getting around to record this. But so you're working for a change? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> You've got it. More than I two mean, hours a day. Exactly. There's no time for podcast recording and running when you're working for four hours.
0: Well, I would say that's just a lack of commitment to one thing. You can get it all in if you learn how
2: to manage your schedule a little better. <laughs> You sound like me talking to one of my college kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I knew that was yeah. the type of line you'd say, as we all do. No, but I'd,
2: I'd seen the reports and I was checking results every night, and the reports seemed to be that Asal was playing clean squash. There was no obvious issues from what I read in any of his pool uh, matches. I saw a little bit of his final match, which was against Ali, um, but it seemed a little bit. No one to say Ali didn't try, but he certainly wasn't going all out, because he was eliminated at that stage. Even if he had won, he would have actually still been knocked out of the tournament. The only change was that Marwan would have gone through instead of Mustafa Asal. So Asal obviously had a lot more to play for in that match, and partly because of the quality of squash he was playing, he was able to win through Love. Um, seemed like he was playing at, a, he's been playing at a very high level for a while now, but it seemed like he was playing at an even higher level last week. Yeah, he's pretty good at squash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been saying that for a while to be fair. Hot take. Yeah, hot take.
0: Asal is a good squash player. <laughs>
2: um
0: it, it yeah, the
1: the other thing I found interesting and this kind of plays into what you're just talking about Stuart is like the PSA and and the write-ups and the social media really don't ever I guess they don't want to highlight the fact that some of this stuff is um going on, but even the matches that maybe weren't crazy physical, there were still some antics in the pool play. Like, you know, I think uh I think it was one of the matches he he waited until after the two minutes was done to ask for his injury timeout
2: and then Wasn't that in the semifinals against Tarek? I think he did it
1: multiple times this week. Yeah.
2: I think he definitely he got a, did it
1: between he got like the... A, he got his a toe taped up or something, like, just kind of made up, you know. He did that like,
2: between the second and third game against Harrick in the semis, yeah. but he might have done it previously in another match. Yeah. I, I suspect... I, I believe I had, he did. I think they said that he had uh, some blisters on his feet. So I don't know if that was related to it. Um, anyway, the first match I actually watched properly of him during the week was the semi-final, which just so happened to be the, probably the most controversial match of the week. Um, so yeah, I don't know where you guys want to start with that one. I mean, moman was very
0: upset, obviously, but he—I uh, don't know if you saw his tweet. I'm sure, you, yeah, of course you did. We all did. Uh, he was pretty much saying, you know what? Ever put me in the same category? My my name beside his name in the same category? Strip me of my titles, and I'll retire straight away. Which is a uh, Maybe a little touch uh, <laughs> emotional because I don't think if it actually came down to it, he would actually ever want anyone to take away his, his world title. But uh, you could tell he was clearly upset with some of the antics.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if, if playing a Saul three games puts you in a mood like that, I mean, that gives you a little bit of insight right into how, uh, how challenging it is out there. I think it's all agree, I think it's all admitted to saying you know he was in his head, and that's what he's going to do, and that's part of his part of his game, so
0: and those boys yeah. are lined up, all going to proceedings with the current draw in Chicago, at the world open next month. they're due to play each other in the round of sixteen, which I say would be I'd nearly drive to bleed in Chicago to watch that in the flesh <laughs> to see, just to just to feel the atmosphere. <laughs>
2: I wasn't actually aware of that until you pointed that out to us on text earlier in the week. And yeah, tasty match. Tasty, as you would say. There's
1: there's a few guys that I, or a bunch of guys on tour that I feel like can can put that kind of stuff in the rear view. Moment doesn't strike me as one of them. So, like, it's hard to believe that that match is going to not have just so much fireworks and emotion the entire time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could go one of two ways. It could be, it could be the muse for him to get good focus and to turn up on the day ready to uh, to engage in that type of a battle and come out on top. Or it could go completely the other way. I'm done with this. I'm not getting involved in this. Which would obviously play into a Sal's hands. So if you're listening, Tarek which you're probably not, but just in case, in the very off chance that you are, don't do that.
2: Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably worth, for those that haven't seen Tarek's statement, I've got it in front of me, it's probably worth reading it out. It's fairly long and detailed, but I think it covers some important points. Um, I actually agree with most of it. I think he puts his message across really well. But he just starts with, about last night, I'm not bothered one bit by the fact that I lost the match. What's really bothering me is seeing my name paired up with the sales as bad adverts for the sport. Although I do agree it must have been horrible to watch, imagine having to deal with it first hand on court while keeping you calm. I've been competing on tour for 16 years, I've played almost 470 matches and I'm positive that at least 450 of those were free-flowing, highly entertaining matches, played with their utmost respect and no issues with the referee whether I won or lost. I've always wanted to play this game with integrity, never picked up double bounces, brackets knowingly, call my tens and be fair and respectful to my opponents. Never fake injuries, With never in capitals, and most importantly, never try to use someone's reputation against them, brackets, like it was suggested in the commentary last night. I would never do that to manipulate the refs when my opponent has done nothing wrong. I'm also extremely emotional and try to conduct myself on court the best way I can. Sometimes it can come off a bit intense, but I've been trying so hard to argue less with the refs and only ask for explanations with no further comments, even if I'm angry keeping in mind that I've played many, many matches where I didn't even talk to the ref from start to finish. Sometimes, however, you could lose control when you're facing an opponent who has a win at all costs mentality with win at all costs in uh, quotes, and the ref's not onto it. Yesterday was one of those matches, and I apologise if I argued a bit too much. I'm just unable to figure out what's the best way to deal with those situations. I find it hard to accept defeat without fighting for my right to fair game. Having said that, I hope people can tell the difference between those who engage in ugly matches like that all the time and those who are dragged into those situations when their opponent has a history of seriously questionable behaviour. Having said that, oh, sorry, I read that paragraph. Also, one last thing Joey and PJ don't always get it right. The day I feel, and this is the the paragraph that you alluded to earlier, author, but his final paragraph is the day I feel my name is paired up with Hassals in any context other than the draw is the day I would retire immediately and ask to be stripped of any titles I've received. So, I mean, certainly no holding back. Um, Very strongly worded. Like I say, I personally agree with a lot of it. I think he's made his points. And I think the thing that I'm most impressed with is that he's one of the few players willing to stand out from the crowd and make a statement like that publicly. Because I think a lot of people that have played Asal have kind of just not said anything or kept quiet.
0: Yeah,
1: gloves are well and truly off. Yeah. And it, I found it super interesting, the contrast of uh, Mohamed El-Sherbagi's social media posts right after the final. You no know, a new superstar is born in our sport. I hope people start appreciating the talent. Mustafa Asal has as much as I do. Uh, proud that his first ever big title was against me, as I'm sure it will be the first of many more. Can't wait to be part of his journey for the next few years. I was kind of like, one, you know, I had a couple of questions. One, what does Marwan think about that? Because Marwan uh, doesn't like, um, you know, people saying good shot or anything on court. So I'm sure he's not that pumped that his uh, big brother was pumping a Saul's tires up for him. But also, um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of funny like right after Moman writes that novel, you know, <laughs> Muhammad posts that little tribute post to Saul. And it's like, I wonder if those two get along and if he was doing it almost to be like, you know, I'm, I'm the bigger man here or something. I'm sure it was. I'm sure there was a lot of factors, but I just didn't know if maybe there was something like that in there as well.
0: Well, well, the other question I had, I I suppose, yeah. If you're Tarek moment reading that and you're still in that emotional state, having written your, as you said, novel, Chris, how are you going to respond? (laughs) Yeah. Read that. Right. Yeah. Like my hot take would be that perhaps like, I mean, he's been around a long time as is Tarek, but he's a very clever man. Uh, Unbelievably clever and smart. I would say there's a, a little element where he's been really nice to him. Being very gracious in defeat. You know, Mohammed is thinking, okay, I'll keep it nice and uh, casual, keep it nice and friendly. But if it, there's a bit of needle in the world championships between the two of them, which is unlikely, but if there is, I would say that's when we could see a slight change in the relationship there.
2: So maybe, uh. maybe Assal is getting assault. I think that's a very astute observation and it's also probably an astute move from Chivaghi. Um, I mean, if anyone knows how to play these mind games that Asal was referring to, I mean, I think he says that he learned a lot of that from Chivaghi. So um, just to go back to Tarek's statement, just go through it a little bit in detail. I think I think the point he makes about, I've played 470 matches and I'm positive that at least 450 of those were free-flowing, highly entertaining basically clean squash. I think that's completely valid from what I've seen of Tarek. He's always struck me as a very fair player, tries to play the ball as much as he can, not someone with a history of blocking or sort of regular interference in his matches. So, again, if you're looking for a common denominator in these matches, I feel like at this point in his career, Russell's played like 60 matches and 50 of them have had issues. So... um, I also think, um, I think it's admirable that he's quite honest about the difficulty of controlling your emotions in the heat of battle. Um, I actually felt from the start of the match that he was a little bit, not necessarily wound up, but he was almost anticipating a dirty match right from the start. Uh, and to be fair to Asal, I don't think the match was that dirty in the early stages. I thought the first two games were fairly clean, it was a little bit in the, I think it was the start of the second. The, they had a few laps and got a bit scrappy, but then it cleaned up again. Tarek actually ended up running away with that game and winning it quite comfortably to get back in the match and forced a decider in the third. But it was really the third game where it sort of descended into the sort of situations that we've seen in previous SL matches. Um, but right from the start, like I say, it just felt like Tarek was was prepared for some blocking, some fishing, some bad calls from the ref. And I actually thought that Asal was trying to play cleaner than I've seen him in the past until he sensed that sort of, you can call it what you want, mental weakness or fragility from Tarek. And then he sort of really put the, put the hammer down and started playing up to it.
1: Yeah. I'd say that's fairly consistent with what I see from Tarek. Like he's, he's never looking to necessarily be the one creating interference, creating a ton of referee calls, but he, he doesn't necessarily handle it well when things get a little bit, start getting a little bit, um, you know, going towards that direction. He, he kind of blows up and then
2: everything's a big deal. I think didn't him and Marwan have a match that was a little bit like that. and Maybe the Egyptian open last year and, Marwan sort of got inside his head and Tarek almost just didn't want to didn't want to know anything about the match by the, the latter stages. It was just like, get me off the court here as quick as possible. And the, actually the Asal match at the very end was a bit like that as well. Once he was behind in the third and Asal was closing in in victory, he looked more concerned with just getting off the court as fast as he could than staging a comeback and fighting his way back into it. Um but he, t- he touches upon this win at all cost mentality, which is what he's essentially accusing Asal of. And I don't know about you guys, but do you think that's a fair accusation that Asal essentially believes that anything you do on court is justified if it helps you get a win?
1: I think he's been doing that since the Challenger tour. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I, when I, I'm. I'm dead serious. I mean, I, I've, I've watched it. Uh, he, he was blowing up, he was blowing up at 10 Ks. Like, uh, there's video of it, you know, berating older referee, um, in Canada and, um, pulling, you know, like pulling, pulling moves just like this, where he was taking, telling the ref, his opponent, you know, his opponent tripped him when he tripped on his own feet so he could get half an hour injury time, even though he wasn't hurt. Like, I saw that stuff from him when he was literally playing in, in a 10K. Um, and yeah. I know some of the guys who have played him who who said the same thing.
0: Yeah, I think he, to be fair, you know, there's probably, there's a tipping point when it comes to winning at all costs, if it's actually eth- ethical and that sort of like, you know, cheering uh, shots that you've hit after it's bounced twice and that kind of stuff is, it's not great really.
1: The, uh, the one thing I'll say, I, I was I was noticing this a little bit this week is like so and I was I was watching a little bit of the uh the squash on fire 20k as well. And so I was like kind of you know, there was a, a clear contrast. A Saul plays so fast that like his movement off the ball needs to be so quick back to the tee. And I do think there's a ton of times where he's purposely creating contact. I think there's also a lot of times where he he's hitting the ball so hard and so quickly around the middle that he knows if he doesn't get back to that mid-court area super quickly, like a counter beats him or something the other direction beats him. So part of it I think is like his explosive movement off the ball I think I think it gives he gives himself a bad name by doing it on purpose at times. But that but then like when I was contrasting that with uh, some of the guys in the 20K, they take like really indirect routes back to the T and it forces them to play like a lot more chip length and high length. And it's just doesn't want to do that. So like I kind of saw both sides of it a little bit where he's just got to kind of figure he's just got to. You know, and then clean it up a little and people will appreciate, you know, that not many people can move like him um, if he's not getting in other people's way on intentionally.
0: I think I just think it just does it to access it on the middle of the court I mean, if you hit the baller in the middle of the court. He's a big guy. He's going to take a space. You can ex- take you can accept that or you can take it with a pinch of salt, whichever. I don't have huge issue with it. I don't really like all the interference but I particularly don't like the interference on the left wall and the back corners. Yeah. So there's always like a little a little nudge which just makes it a little bit harder for the next guy and it's a deliberate line to the ball like if you look at his line to the ball in the back left corner and compare that to everyone else's it always creates like just a little niggle here and there. It's like it's like what
1: it's what happens when you play like a beginner or when you're doing rotating drives with a beginner who doesn't know the movement pattern. They bump into you a lot or they stick their yeah. racket into you a lot. Like that's he's creating that on purpose. It's crazy.
2: It's yeah. that step off the ball where you actually step backwards more towards the center before you start moving forwards. Yeah. And we talked about this in the last pod. I will say in his defence, I saw I actually saw less of that in this tournament. That was something that he was particularly guilty with. Like I say, I only saw really two of his matches in detail. Um, but I didn't see as many problems out of the back corners as of certainly in, uh, in El Guna. I thought he was particularly bad for that. Um, but just moving on to sort of talking about the final. The final actually slightly annoyed me because it demonstrated that he is more than capable of playing clean and fair squash without any of that. Um, and he just played. I mean, he played absolutely brilliantly against Chibaghi. Um, No one, including Shabaghi himself, can accuse him of winning that match through dirty tactics or manipulating the ref to his advantage. He just outplayed him. And especially after the first game, I was I was shocked about how, how the first game uh, Ended up favouring Asal more than Shibagi. I thought, I thought even if Shibagi had lost that first game, the fact that he would made it fairly physical—it was 31 minutes long. There's a lot of tough movement involved in it, and I would have bet a lot of money at that point that um, that that was going to be something that favoured Shibagi. Um, but he just Asal seemed to break him, like. Just every game after that got a little bit easier. And then, what was it, seven minutes for the third game? Shabagi sure just didn't have anything left in the tank at that point. Aye.
0: Yeah. I mean, too can can play. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we've probably waffled enough about the fellas. How is the CEO of the Norel Shabini fan club doing?
2: Uh, I'll be honest, the Norel Shabini fan club took a bit of a hit last week. Um, <laughs> Didn't lose any members. To be fair, I mean, I'm still, I'm still actively recruiting and having no, no problems finding signed, fully paid up members. So, no issue there. Just this, just a minor setback in the grand scheme of things. But no, she, she didn't look quite at her best. And the I didn't see the matches live, but little highlights that I caught. Um, actually, I did see most of the Gohar match. Was it Gohar? She played last. Yeah. Yeah, it was, because she had to win that match to stay in, in and make it through to the semis. And I thought Gohar more than deserved to win that match, even after Shabini took the first. Um, so, yeah, she wasn't at her best. Gohar looked good. Um, I thought across across the semis and final, across that match against Shabini, which was her last pool match, and then the semis and final, I thought she was a deserving winner. Um it's actually her first title since before the pandemic, and also before she became world number one for a brief period last year after Reneem retired. So, um, more than more than deserved that she's back competing at the, the top level again.
1: I think the I think the court really suits her suited her game. Like from watching the final with Hania, I mean, I I imagine it was pretty warm, um, and you could kind of tell like the ball was flying around, bouncing. And just, I think if anything, she she doesn't quite have like the subtlety that uh, obviously that Shcherbini has, but even some of the other top women. And on that court, she didn't necessarily need it. She just was like injecting so much pace. And it was just so hard for Hania to handle in the final, I thought. Um, And I think Hania can play those long... Grueling rallies and still come out with a lot of nice, um, you know, like wait for the right moment or just play play big scrappy rallies. But I just thought, yeah, it suited Gohar a little bit more than than
0: most people this week. Yeah, the hitting was ferocious. Yeah, yeah. She's obviously and probably probably a little sharper physically as well. I think like she looked like there was a bounce in her step. She never really fell the wayside. She never really had to fall back or sort of take a few moments, get her tempo back up. Um, I mean, She's really given herself a great platform to build on for the World Open next month.
2: I'm not sure if it was the court itself, Chris, or the, the conditions in Cairo last week in terms of weather. Just after the women's final, so between the women's final and the men's final, I looked up the, the time and uh, the the temperature in Cairo at that time and it was 34 celsius or 90 feet fahrenheit um yeah at so that fun? It's,
1: like, it's like playing outdoors in New York City right now and I I was dripping sweat walking to the uh, grocery store around the corner
2: yeah well, well this was on <laughs> Sunday afternoon so Sunday morning before the final just before the final I went out for a run and I uh, I did 12 miles Oh, you had to get in the, that in there, didn't yeah. you? Oh, I just went
0: for a run. Just letting 12, you know. I ran I did 12, twelve miles. Minutes. There's there's a point to this story. Yeah, yeah, sure. So. Is, yeah. How, how fast are you run, Stuart? Was it under an hour?
2: No, no chance. Yeah, oh, what, I just thought you
0: might just want to get that in there too. You
2: know, I think it was about an hour twenty something. But um, I think it was thirty-one degrees, so about eighty-eight degrees, so a little bit cooler. But I came back from that run. I was out for an hour and 20-something minutes, I had lost seven pounds in sweat. And these guys are playing in slightly higher temperatures in Cairo last week and, oh. than that, which is absolutely brutal. Like, Because I actually I wondered, just because it was the first time I'd seen Hanya looking fatigued in a match, and then straight after that, um, Shabagi looked exhausted against Asal. I can't help but thinking that was a factor, but I think it also helps um, It helps Gohar's game when the ball was flying around the court and those sort of temperatures because that sort of subtlety that you're talking about that some of the other players maybe possess that she doesn't, it's really hard to make that work on a lively court. And just to your point, Arthur, about her movement, I thought she looked particularly sharp in and out of the front corners. Now, that's obviously because the ball's setting up a little bit more. But everyone had that advantage. But she seemed to be able to get up there. And when the ball's just a little bit higher on the bounce, she can then hit down on it again on the next ball and attack. Okay.
0: Time to get up from your snooze, huh? Attack time.
2: That's yep. the end of my nap. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but everything seemed to play into our favour. And she looked confident and, like I say, fully deserved. For a brief moment, I actually thought we might get a repeat of Last year's World Tour Finals, which was the match where um, Hanya played El Tayeb in the final, El Tayeb went two love up and then Hanya just sort of run her down. Uh, by the end of it, Tayeb was exhausted and I think it was fairly comfortable in the last two games for Hanya. But in reality, it was the other way. It was Hanya that seemed more, more tired towards the end of the match. It was a
0: heartbreaker of a match
2: to watch. Yeah. Um.
0: And Camille and, and Hanya obviously had another ding-dong as well in the semis, which as always, never fails to deliver. I missed
2: most of that. I saw a little bit, but I didn't see the I didn't you see sure, the Did
0: you do your homework, huh? We delayed, the, we delayed recording a week so you could do your homework, man. Sure, <laughs> I, was on, huh?
2: I was in bad form last week. I'll take full responsibility for that. you right. um, I did see the other semi-final, which was Gohar and Joel King and There was certainly no love lost there. They they, they are not best friends, I'll tell you that much.
1: (laughs) I think I watched every match on day one. So it was like my first day of, you know, um, with a little bit of vacation time. I'm not grinding out the camps this week, this past week, like you guys, but. Never growing, man.
0: Started playing playing golf. How's the swing?
1: It's coming around, getting ready. Getting ready for what? Big 4th of July golf tournament coming up.
0: Ooh, nice.
1: Yeah.
0: Still, still got, waiting for this big matchup. You use Nathan here?
1: Lake. Yeah, I think, uh, so I think update on the outdoor court. I'm still, still waiting for my first match, but I think uh, Nicole Bunyan got through. And so she plays Nathan Lake and I have a first rounder that I think I have to play by the 12th of July. Um, so hopefully in the next couple of weeks, but yeah, Nathan's got a, got a tough one first. So do I, I, I don't think, saw, I think the point of a handicap tournament is there should,
2: shouldn't be any easy ones. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Nathan's result down in DC this week, but he won the first game of live and love and then still lost in five. So he's fragile, Chris. Yeah. I well, might this to, this is Nicole's sense I might have to
1: use that against him in the warm-up. Really yeah, good. yeah. I mean,
2: so it oh, that's what you do.
0: You let him bagel you in game one. You're like, <laughs> no again. Familiar you've territory, been, Nathan. You've oh, been I here got before. You. I got you right where I want you. Lower yeah, him into a false sense of security, and bam. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: so. The only other points I made it. I mean, it. Uh, Gregoire Marsh in his first appearance at a tour finals mm-hmm. came sneaky close um, to to getting into that semi couple close losses um and a win against Joel Macon and then the only other um note I made was I miss Diego I just miss the (laughs) Diego I I do like I just feel like there's something he's just got a different style than everybody else in the event um yeah I'm excited to see him get back back at it I think he's down in Florida training but um we need him back.
2: Well, the good news is I believe he's in the draw for Chicago for the world champs. So, Ooh. I hope that we see him back there and he stays in. Um, but yeah, I agree. He's. I think it was uh, squash skills today. Just posted a little clip of a rally between him and Farag from oh, electric. Yeah, and it was just a reminder of like how free flowing and silky he is, and. Uh, you're right he's he's got a little bit something different that no one else in the tour has Um, another sort of controversial match I don't know if you caught uh, the last pool match between Tarek and Joe Macon which was the last match of the final round of pool play on Friday night now the court conditions were absolutely horrible I don't know what happened but it seems like um, sort of just got humid all of a sudden and the court became virtually unplayable within the space of about 15 minutes.
1: And ma- making sweats like a banshee too.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I kind of hard to believe he's just got himself a racket deal and that for the last God knows how long he hasn't had a sponsor. Geez, <laughs> if I had a racket company, I'd sign him up.
2: But I just, it was one of those matches that shouldn't have been allowed to continue. I've I've not really seen any match that looked to me as dangerous as that one. And the fact that it was allowed to continue. And again, the ref I thought should have stepped in and said, look, we need to do something here. And um, they actually, I don't know if you remember in El they had those giant fans through the, the front wall that were blowing. There's like a mesh panel in the tin and it blows here and reduces the humidity, humidity on the court. And, Seems to help a lot now. They'd actually transported those fans down from El Guna to Cairo for this event for that exact purpose. They'd put them into a storage cupboard and then no one could find the key to this storage cupboard, so they couldn't get them. <laughs> Jeez. So
1: <laughs> that's the type of that's the type of stuff that you can't let you can't let that word get out. Yeah. Like, well know, it was just, they just, were talking just, about it
2: openly on commentary, so it was definitely out there
1: yeah just pretend just pretend it never happened
2: but I yeah. thought it was it was a match that should have been stopped, and actually it turned out that when and Joe it went against Joe because early on he were, he was actually leading in the first, and Tarek started making some comments right from the beginning of the match. It was an issue, but it was affecting Tarek more than Joe in the very beginning, and Tarek was asking for the court to be mocked, and can we pause the match and try and do something about this and Joe essentially said. I'm fine to play on. Like, I don't think it's an issue. And because there wasn't sort of consent amongst the players, they were forced to continue. And then Tarek sort of adjusted his game, started going short more, started moving Joel to all four corners a bit more. And he managed to sort of come back into that game, won it. And then in the th- in the second game, he had, over- had Joel all over the court, and I've never seen someone slip as much in one game as Joel did in the second game of that match. Um, and it was, the, I mean, how he got through that match without an injury, I had no idea. And in a way, it sort of it highlights how, how much self-interest is in, involved with players and the way they sort of view the game. To me, it was clear right at the start, whoever was, regardless of who was winning, that that court was not suitable to be played on. And the fact that Joe was kind of happy to go along with it because he was winning, then put him in a strange position where he couldn't really complain once he started losing. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't a great, great game or a great look for anyone, whether it's the players or the PSA or the ref
0: or the guy who lost the key. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> I think I'm, yeah. I'm just
0: more. I'm just more. More. That's that's the type of stuff I would do, and I'd be at home.
1: The only the only other thing I wanted to touch on was, uh, yeah, I think I think we've mentioned her on the show in that English squash challenge. But Gina Kennedy, um, recent college squash grad, is just like ripping through this 20K in uh, D.C. I mean, she beat she beat Siva Suburbanian three love. She beat Joshna Chinapa, three love, who was the top seed. And she took out Sabrina Sobey just a minute ago. Um, oh. And then three love. Um, and it hasn't looked like she's really been tested that hard, which is uh, crazy impressive. Is she um, in the draw
0: next week, at, next month in Chicago?
1: I don't know. She had to get a wild card just to get in this. I think she just joined the tour at the exact toughest time, right? Oh.
2: Um, I don't believe she has in the wild draw. I mean, no. The last time I saw her play was the last sort of live tournament I was at, which was uh, the college individual championship.
1: She's ranked, she's 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 only ranked 170 in the world.
0: But would she have got a chance to play like in a world champs qualifier like that tournament in Odense?
2: She didn't play that event for some reason. I don't know if her ranking wasn't high enough to get in, but oh man, she wasn't in the draw there. But yeah, she's beating Josh now, who's what 14 in the world, something like that. Just trying to scroll through his draw here. Uh, Joshna's eleven in the world and she beat her feel obviously yesterday. Um no, no big deal, huh? Yeah. I mean she has been losing a couple of times to Sarah Jane Perry. Um although she's, a, she's not bad at squash well. she lives <laughs> to be fair. Yeah.
0: Like, oh she's terrible loss. Yeah. Unbelievable. Jeez.
1: Hundred and seventy in the world, losing to like number five or six. Understandable. Yeah. But yeah, mm. she's she's gonna be uh she's gonna be quickly, quickly up there.
2: Top twenty before her. I guess it just depends how long it takes her to get into enough tournaments to get a ranking up. But I think I mentioned this before. Anyone oh, that saw her but anyone that ready. saw her play college squash probably isn't that surprised because she was winning she won what two or three college individual championships, Chris. I think three, right? I think so. Yeah. Um and it's not those bad, are huh? those highly, are not weak events. Impressive.
0: No, she's not in the world draw. Bummer. Maybe she's hanging around and somebody might not turn up. Here's your ticket.
1: <laughs> I'm hanging but, around if someone doesn't show up.
0: Yeah.
2: I've got two final things to say. One, a bit of a downer, so I'll start with that and I'll finish on a bit of a positive, which... The downer is the refs again. Yeah. Um, Specifically, Ralph Harenberg, who I think has consistently shown now that he's not at the level where I think that he should be refing PSA. I mean, he's been around for years. Used to be at Europeans every year when I played. Arthur, you probably remember him as well. And he's fine. Yeah. What a ref! What a great ref! <laughs> <laughs> he must have helped you win a match back in the day at some point. I needed all the help I could get. He did not help me. I tell you. <laughs> yeah. He was one of those guys that he was—he was never the worst ref at the tournament, but I would never have said that he was someone that would go on and be refing at the very top level in PSA events at this certainly at World Tour finals or some of these platinum events. Um, but I think specifically in relation to some of these Asal matches, he's demonstrated that he's not consistent enough to handle them. He's not—he's um, not willing to, to take a fairly. Harsh line and force it all the way through the match, sort of does it for a couple of points and then rewards him the next point. Um, but overall, I don't think that he's someone that if I was involved with the PSA and I was looking to pick rest for, for any big events, it's not someone that I would be considering if I'm honest. Um, well, another good news, ref that good news for Raf that you're not in that position, <laughs> <laughs> Fair. probably good news for a lot of them actually, maybe if. Few more that would be getting the boot if that was the case, but we um, did have no one
1: left,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, Marwan well, they, Bagu, you just
0: won your match, you're up to the referee. There
2: yeah. you go, no messing. The other guy that was reffing out in uh in Cairo last week was I'm not sure his surname, but Ashraf he was referred to. Um, and he's he's actually quite good, but sometimes I think he's a little bit too strict in the sense that he. He consistently uses this phrase took took the wrong line or go to the ball and we were talking before we started recording about how I feel like players when they anticipate they take a step in the general direction so if they know that a drop shot is coming they'll step forward in that corner they don't need to know whether the ball is coming three feet back from the front wall or six feet because once they've made that initial movement in that direction it's easy enough to adjust Um, and I think you have to understand like a lot of the time they're taking their first step almost before the ball was left the strings of their opponent and that's just because they read the game so well and I think you should be you shouldn't be penalized for that you should be rewarded for that level of reading and then if you have to take an additional step to the left or go forward a bit more then it's pretty easy to make those adjustments um, but this idea that people deliberately run into their opponent just to get a soft let I, Think is a little bit of a misnomer. I think sometimes they're just anticipating so early that they're moving and their opponent's then trying to clear that shot and there's just a bit of accidental interference. Um and he he almost forces you to run round your opponent, which again I don't think is fair. You're entitled to a direct line to the ball. Um and I don't think you should ever be told that, oh, yeah, there was a line in front, but that line in front is actually around the opponent. Um, that to me seems unfair when the rules clearly state that you're entitled to have direct direct access to your shot.
0: <laughs> was that a positive?
2: No, that, that was a negative, <laughs> oh, don't worry. Man.
0: Jeez, that was a life story. <laughs> don't worry. Was the positive? Positive?
2: Go on, in one line. The positive is just Asal winning and taking out the world number one, two, three, and five in the same tournament. He beat the the reigning world champion, two former world champions, uh, the defending champion. Yeah. Three former I mean, world
0: champions. Oh, yeah. Defending. Yes, it's
1: true. coming from the Mustafa Sala uh, haters
0: club. <laughs> yeah, look <laughs> at this guy. CEO is, of a new yeah. club. He's going to have to rebrand it.
2: Yeah. And also, like I said earlier, the way he took out Shabagi in the final, there was no antics. It seems like there's a, there's a mutual level of respect there. And I think going back to this sort of, the difference between Tarek's approach to that his match with Sal and um, and Shabagi's approach, it reminds me a little bit of sort of the James Willstrop, Nick Matthew animosity, if you want to call it that, and how um, I always viewed that as a conflict of, Essentially, philosophy on the game. And to me, one of them, I Nick viewed. You step on court, you do whatever you can to win that match, and whatever happens on court stays on court, and that's completely legitimate. And I think, I think Asal certainly ascribes to that philosophy. I think Shobagi to some extent, kind of follows that, and has has talked about the fact that he views guys like Nick and Greg as role models and they, they taught them a lot about the game and how it's to be played and the fact that you can, you can use mind games to, to help you get an edge and that's completely legitimate. And then you've got guys like Will Strop, and in this case Tarek who probably view doing things like that as a bit of a reflection on your character overall and I think they think if you're, if you're cheating or blocking or doing anything on court it can't just be forgotten and it's a reflection on who you are off the court as well um, and I don't think one of them's right or one of them's wrong I think it's just two completely different uh, approaches to the game different people have a different way of looking at things uh, Yeah. Um, but yeah I think Asal deserves a lot of quick credit just for the fact that he's demonstrated now that he can play perfectly good clean squash and he can also beat the very best in the world playing that way as well. he's He's, he's a pretty good squash player <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that was a, that was a lovely positive to finish on. I think we got to take just lastly finish up. Nora Gore uh, has you know unbelievable performs all week. Hannya Rammi can be a summer, another big one, so the both men's and women's world championship seems a little bit more wide open than maybe it would have been before the world Tour finals. Chicago in two weeks. Can't wait. Yeah, can't wait. Happy days. Line them up. All right. Uh, if you like what you hear, check us up on. Check us out rather on social: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Cheers. Cheers, fellas. See
1: ya.